Hello and welcome to the Be Less Dumb podcast. It's basically me chatting to a bunch of coaches who are more intelligent than I am and work in different areas than I am used to. I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions and try to become a little less dumb in the process. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. In this episode, we're back with the basketball crew once again. Um, we actually put an Instagram poll out a couple of weeks ago on what topic we would like you guys would like us to do next, whether it be monitoring recovery strategies or change direction. And it was overwhelmingly monitoring recovery strategies, so that's what we're going to do. Um, so let's just could we quickly give you a quick roundup of who we have. We have James McMahon, who has an MSc in strength and conditioning, as well with an Irish under 16. Uh, boys team, we have Declan Berry, who has his BSc in strength and conditioning, as well as the multiple under-18 and under-17 female international teams. And we have Michael Stack, who has worked on under-17 international team with me, and also is working within Basketball Scotland now in their international setup, and also has his BSc in strength and conditioning. So, like I said, we're going to start with monitoring recovery strategies today. So the first question I'm going to throw out is towards James. James, let's, let's get started. Let's talk about the importance of strategies, or sorry, of monitoring strategies and kind of some rationale behind them? Yeah, sure. So, you know, with uh, you know, with monitoring, when you look at monitoring strategies, I think, you know, if you look, if you break down SNC or, you know, our role as, as coaches, it's, it's finding performance in the athlete for the sport or to peak for competition. And it's, it's as simple as that at the base level, really. You know, it's, it's and that's, I think that's really important for young athletes or, or coaches to understand when we're when they're getting into training, it's you know it's not just about putting on as much muscle as you can. You you want it to be working on the goals for the sport. So you know if you're if you're not getting better or you know you're not getting faster or stronger or fitter or you're not jumping higher after a program, there's probably something something wrong with it. Um, and like the training side is pretty simple. I think we've, we've talked over the last few podcasts, and you know Dan, you've done more podcasts on on all the topics where you know it's, it's easy enough to get stronger or faster. Um, but like, if you're not getting the results after it, there's probably going to be something wrong with, with your recovery or your nutrition or, or something like that. And if you don't have, you're not tracking everything, you're not monitoring it. It's, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to know what's happening. So, you know, with basketball training, you're going to do your, your, your basketball workouts, your, your skill workouts, and then hopefully lift two, three times a week. Um, and, you know, depending on where you're on the season, it's going to be, you know, lift some heavy weights for a low volume or, you know, some lighter weights as fast as possible or, or some mix of that. And, you know, hopefully after your training, you know, come game day or first game of the season, you're feeling great and you're, you're more prepared than you were at the start of preseason um, and you can perform at your highest level. Um, and then, you know, after that first game, you're going to recover, you're going to train again the next week and recover again and get ready for the second game, second game and then repeat that for the season. So, you know, we just want to optimize that repeating cycle. And I think it's, that's what monitoring strategies are all about uh, for the sports coaches or the SNC or the sports scientists is, you know, you need to understand the process or, you know, what's, what's really going on. And what we're talking about is really the dose response relationship. You know, you, you have a training dose, so you, you do your workout, there's going to be a response for your body and then hopefully you can recover and we can, we can get that uh, ability or that physical ability, you know, better or improvement. Um, you're going to have the dose or the training session, your body's going to respond to that. There's going to be inflammation or there's going to be some muscle damage. And, uh, you know, as a coach, we need to know what, what that response is going to be. And when we can really understand that, you know, we can we can target, uh, you know, the training of athlete to improve the athlete's physical capacity to perform their sport. And that's that's important that, you know, this training 
this uh, dose responsibility is, is fully individual. So, you know, we can't just give the same program to a number of athletes and, and hope for the same results. You got to tailor it to that, uh, to that athlete. So, you know, monitoring is going to be going to be key because, you know, the response to training depends on the background. It depends on the athlete's genetics or let's say physiological factors or how well they can recover, how much stress the athlete is under in daily life. Even things like, I know, with Irish programs, things like the leave insert, that's going to play a huge role on, you know, how they respond to their training and, you know, you know, if they're going to get, you know, positive or negative results. So we have to, we have to track all that. Um, and, you know, it's, this is going to, when we do monitor that, this is going to guide your daily, you know, your weekly and your yearly training intensity and volume. Um, and that's what it comes down to, you know, having information that you can program what the athlete needs to do. Because um, if you're not monitoring, you know, your whole training process is really just a shot in the dark. Uh, you know, monitoring allows you to, you know, impose the right stimulus or the right dose, like we talked about before, that right dose at the right time to give, you know, just enough improvement and not to cause, you know, global fatigue in the body just to get ready for that game. So I think, you know, uh, and then on top of that, you know, an, an effective monitoring system is going to, you know, gonna, it's going to help the coach reduce illness or overtraining, uh, you know, injury or and optimize recovery, which uh, I think recovery Michael's going to talk about um, after this. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're kind of, the history of why we would do it. And then, you know, within monitoring strategies or why we use them, I think the key, the key thing to remember is we're looking for a term called super compensation. And that's, you know, that's getting the body in a position of increased performance. And that's, you know, that's what we, that's, I think that's what every, every athlete wants, you know, they want to train and they want a positive result after it. So if you kind of look at that, it's, you know, your body, you get a training stimulus and there's a, a short term decrease in performance. You know, we all know we get a bit sore after a session, and your body is, let's say we did a squat session or something, your body's going to be like, you know, inflammation is going to take place. It's going to be sore. Your body doesn't want that to happen again. So when it, when it recovers or when it adapts from that, it's going to make that, you know, that physical capacity a bit higher and it's going to get a bit better. Um, so that stimulus, if, you, if the body receives that stimulus again, it, it won't have the same effect on it. So the body just doesn't want to be, you know, sore and, and fatigued. It wants to get better. And that's all training is about. You know, you're going to do a squat session, and then gradually over weeks, you're going to increase that. Um, and, you know, if everything's right and you're monitoring yourself, you're going to be getting better. And, you know, if we look at um, a start of the season, you know, you do your first session, you're going to be really, really sore. But if you, you do that session again, it, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to tax you as much. And, uh, and, you know, that, I think that's, and, and, you know, we have, we have to track this and we have to know what, what stimulus is needed and then when and how much volume and intensity is needed how many tests and assessments to uh, be done consistently and reliably. Um, and it, it's not that fatigue is bad. I think you know, people get a, you know, we don't want to be, you know, obviously you don't want to be super, super sore, but you know, fatigue is a normal part of it. You want to be sore after, you want to be tired after a training session, but you know, you, you need this fatigue to improve. And uh, you know, small bits of fatigue is what we call, you know, functional overreaching. It's, it's planned fatigue. We're going to recover from it. We're going to improve. And that's key. And, and, and you need to see that improvement. We need to find that balance between stress and recovery. Acute fatigue is fine, but, you know, chronic fatigue or unplanned fatigue, let's say, you know, let's say we complete a training cycle or a preseason, you know, we have a deload week or a, a tapering cycle coming up to that first game. But we still feel tired and, and, and drained during that game. That's what we don't want. You know, that's, that's probably a signal of not enough recovery or just too high a level of, of, of loading coming up to the game, you know, too much training. Um, and you know, you've gone into a state of what we call non-functional overreaching. So, you know, too much training in the cycle, not enough recovery. And then if this keeps happening over time, 
which we see a lot in new training. You know, guys that are on Irish teams, but they're also on football teams and soccer teams. If you keep over overreaching, you know, overtraining syndrome can occur. And you know, this is, you know, this is a really serious thing and it can really put you out for, not, it's not just a, you know, a one or two weeks. Even with recovery, if you have really gone into overtraining, even with recovery or a week off, you're just not going to get back to that level of uh, performance. So I think, you know, especially for young athletes, that's really important. You got to listen to your, listen to your body um, when you're, when you're taking training. That's, that's really, you know, why we do monitor and why monitoring strategies are, are so important. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, there's so many things you touched on there and, and they all, they're all important, you know, that dose response relationship, but also you, you talk about, you know, functional overreach versus actual overtraining. And sometimes people get confused with overtraining and what it means and functional overreaching and stuff like that. You know, yeah. overtraining can, I always call it an overtraining underperforming, you know, underperformance syndrome or whatever. Um, and like you say, if you don't have something, you know, set up within a, within a system that you can at least try to monitor that, and try to avoid it or have your functional over reason, but also get, make sure you get your super compensation effect, then yeah, you are basically having a shot in the dark for all of your training. Um, so yeah, that, that, all make, that all makes sense. And it's important that athletes, like I said, it was majority of athletes who kind of responded that they wanted to know about the, the monitoring recovery strategy. So it's important for them to realize why, why it gets done and how important it is to, first of all, whatever they're asked to do on their side with the monitoring, that they make sure they do it. And that for coaches, they use information that the athletes are giving them. So do you want to maybe talk to us about a few different strategies that you can be used? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so there, there is, you know, a very broad different areas of, of things to do. And it obviously depends on money and, you know, the setup at the highest level is going to be more, uh, you know, more expensive equipment. But uh, one way to look at it is, I think, is, you know, first you want to be, you can look at the tracking the internal load of a program and then also the internal training load. So these are two separate different things. So the external are going to be things like just the actual, what the athlete is doing. So, duration of the session or the, the volume and intensity of the reps, um, the speeds, hit and runs, maybe their times or like ground contacts in plyometric training. Um, and, you know, obviously there's, there's new tech out there and there's, there's stuff like GPS tracking that, uh, you know, becomes so common for a lot of teams and even into amateur leagues, you know, you see GPS. Um, and then as well in the gym, we have things like velocity-based training or like things like the gym aware equipment, which are going to, you know, again, track the reps, but also velocities and just, it's just getting more, more details on, on what the athlete is doing. So really just collecting data. Uh, so you know what you did. And th these are all looking at the external loads. So the, you know, the metrics behind what the athlete is, is doing. So then as a coach, we can track it and adjust it and uh, over the cycle. So it's, it's just about, you know, tracking so that we can have a progressive periodization program. Um, you know, we can put in the right dose and then over the weeks, gradually increase that, or, you know, if we need to, we, we know that we need this week, we need to do a deload week or, you know, reduce it by 50% the volume of the intensity so that they can super compensate for a, a big game that's coming up. Um, and I know, and also by having this information, if we know scores are going up week to week, especially in the preseason, you know, you know, that's, that's what we want. That's, that's, you know, that's beautiful for a cycle. After a cycle, we do testing and, you know, everything's going up. So at the base level, you want to be tracking what the athlete is. Well, that's kind of the, the external stimuli, so what the athlete is actually doing. But then we also need to look at, you know, the physiological stress and, and how that's impacting the athlete. And we're going to call that the, the internal training load. So, you know, how the athlete is dealing with the training. Because, you know, as you said before, it is individual. No athlete's going to respond to the same session the same way. Um, you know, other things come into play, like, you know, just stress in life is going to, you know, make your body respond to it a different way. So, 
I think, you know, the most common one that we, everyone knows about of, you know, how do we measure internal uh, training load is going to be just your heart rate. So, you know, just wearing a watch during your endurance training, you, know, you can, you can use uh, or during your intervals or endurance training, you can have a watch that's going to be tracking, you know, the intensity of your session. Um, and we can do that because, you know, heart rate is directly linked to, you know, there is a, a linear relationship between heart rate and oxygen consumption or your VO2. Um, but I guess, you know, kind of with basketball, it's probably not the, you know, basketball is less about endurance and it's, it's more of an intermittent uh, intermittent sport. So probably not the ideal for basketball, but there is something else called an RPE or what we call rate of perceived exertion. Um, and this is just a way of, you know, of classing the session. You know, it's just a scale of like, let's say one to 10 of 10 being an extremely max session or one being, you know, a, a very light session. So after, it's just a way to, you know, you're asking the athlete, how was that session for them? It's, it's personal to them. It's individual. And there, there are tons of scales out there. Um, I think one that, you know, I've used before is as a session RPE scale. That's just going to involve the duration of it and then the RPE number that the athlete gives to give you an overall training training score for that session. And you just, you just need to track that over time. So it's giving the coach, you know, information on on what training or how how, the, how hard these sessions are for the athlete. Um and you know you just take into the take into account your volume and intensity, and then you're tracking the RPE, and it's going to give you a good score. Um, this is you know this is important to have to influence training over time, along with things like you know monotony and you know if if you have these details, you can tell if you know what we don't want in sessions is just continuous days of a really high intensity, um, and that's what we call monotony of training. It's just you know it's not good. We need ups, we need high days, low days, and the only way we can we can track that is by you know, having something like this, uh, where you're asking the athlete or how hard that was. And then, you know, on the other side, we have, uh, you know, how the athlete, so, that, you know, we've talked about the external, you know, the, the things we're doing in the gym, and then also how the athlete feels about that session right after the session. But we also need to know, you know, how, how the athletes dealing with it in the days after, you know, it's how, uh, you know, what's their response to this training? How's their recovery going? Because uh, we just go by training load. We're not taking into account, you know, how the athletes handle training, how the recovery is different between different athletes. We need to know, you know, how the person is responding. I think one of the easiest and probably underused one is just, you know, it's just communication or something with like a questionnaire. So I think uh, the lads might talk about it later on in the podcast, but something like a POMS was a profile of mood state or a daily analysis of life demands for athletes. These are two different kind of documents you could find online. Just a series of questions, you know, tracking how the athlete's feeling, you know, the mood, tension, anger, or fatigue, motivation on a daily basis. So, you know, simple questions you can do in the morning and it's just seeing how, uh, how they're feeling because, you know, we need to know how the training, you know, if, if someone's, you know, ex exercise is supposed to put us in a, in a positive state, you know, supposed to be, feel good after training. So, you know, if we're doing, if an athlete's training well and they, you know, they should be recovering, but they're still, you know, they're feeling down or they feel an anxiety or they're just, you know, not feeling good, then something's probably wrong or something's probably gone wrong in the programming or, or, you know, not enough recovery. So that's just a way of tracking and monitoring, you know, how the athletes respond into the training. And then just on the, I think the final, the final thing we need to be tracking is, is some kind of, uh, you know, neuromuscular performance test, something that's going to, you know, see how the, the CNS or the nervous system is responding or how it's responding to fatigue. So I think, well, probably the, the, the one we all know is going to be a counter movement jump, you know, 
a good neuromuscular performance test is going to be something that really taxes the CNS. So it's got to be a one-off max effort. Um, and it's not causing, you know, not doing tons of reps to get it. It's got to be quick, you know, a single rep um, or a single max effort. Something like, you know, a broad jump or just a max jump to a, a height or grip strength, a one-off grip strength, uh, groin squeeze, things like this can just give us a, an assessment of is there, is there fatigue building up in the athlete? So you can do this weekly or um, I guess with, you know, with Irish teams, it's going to be, uh, well, if it's at camp, probably every, every so often a month, but, you know, an athlete at home could easily check their, their jump height once a week just to, to see how it's going and how they're, how they're responding. Um, yeah, they're, that's kind of the, the main one, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you laid out a ton of strategies there. And I think what, what the, the overwhelming kind of knowledge that you're giving is that you can't just rely on one aspect of something to give you an answer that you have to, you know, broaden it out a little bit. Look at, like you said, the psychological, the subjective, the internal, the external, they're all really important. And you need to find a system that suits your budget. First of all, if you can get a nice app that costs a good bit of money with a heart rate monitor and does all your HRV, does all your internal load and gives you a POMS questionnaire inside it, great. Not always the the uh, not always possible though in most setups within Ireland. So like like we'll get on a little bit me and Deck what we done um, in a minute. But yeah, like you said, I think the the real takeaway from what you were talking about there is that you know you have to have a, a broad range of of what you want to test or what you want to monitor, right? Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's move on now to to Mike and Mike. I'm going to ask you pretty similar questions, but this time we're going to take it from an aspect of recovery. Um. So first of all, we'll touch on maybe the, the importance and once again, like I did with James, the rationale behind why you would do recovery. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Thanks. Um, so yeah, um, James touched on a lot of good points there. That a couple of things that I might talk about might overlap a little bit, but it, it's kind of good to know. So kind of recovery is one of these things that we often, well, I often see that's kind of overlooked by, by many coaches. I mean, it should be a key component within any, in any kind of performance program. And should should be factored into the, the the plan for the year, so the periodized plan for the year. So I know, obviously, um, with the work I would have done with you, Danny, you would have had that laid out, um, and like it would have been, yeah, the emphasis would have been on different strategies throughout the year, depending on the stage where uh, where on that stage where the team was, and of course, it's it's as James said, it's influenced by a variety of factors, like including kind of time, the amount of time you have with the team, the budget you have, the equipment you have available, the amount of staff you have. Again, the calendar year and the physical demands of the sport. So, I mean, it's it's one of these ones where co- coaches kind of often expect players to be, especially, particularly when Ireland, I noticed, like, expect to be playing at a very, very high tempo and intensity almost all of the time and then still expecting kind of these positive results without really understanding the kind of physiological and psychological stresses that, that, that has on the athlete. And, I mean, issues that often occur, I suppose, within, within the sport is kind of the recovery is neglected, um, again, what James would have touched on, high levels of kind of volume and intensity, high kind of spikes in training demands. And I suppose players kind of thrown straight back into high intensity after time off, which is which is relevant in, in our current situation. I, I guess it'll be interesting to see kind of what where the injury levels are at. Um, I suppose when it comes to recovery, the importance, I mean, we always try to ensure a high level of compliance, um, not only kind of, making sure players are doing these recovery strategies, which I'll touch on. I mean, also that they understand of why they're doing them and how it will benefit to them. And more kind of a lot of the times with these things, you might just, they might take it as a kind of a tick the box exercise. Um, 
like take for example we would do maybe some foam rolling sessions or static stretching after the end of a session and of course like players would have their own personal preference which which would be okay um i mean a lot of these things maybe if it was just psychological we would look at from the point of view that um that them doing something is is better than them doing nothing at all so i mean when 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 players are playing at a high frequency and intensity Kind of different recovery interventions will have different effects on fatigue um, and recovery. Um, and again, kind of why we would put such an emphasis on recovery, I guess, is what has been shown to kind of, um, we all know it's kind of has a positive effect in kind of the restoration of these physiological and psychological stresses um, so that the athlete can compete again um, or train again at, at the level that's required from them for, for them um and again, it's it's recovery from training and competition in particular is, is complex and kind of depends on the nature of the exercise and any kind of outside stresses. Again, um, it's kind of performance will be affected by a number of different aspects. Um, so like a good kind of recovery stra- plan in general should consider kind of factors such as training, competition, as I mentioned. So the kind of volume, intensity and duration um, and kind of take into fact the recovery from the previous training session so um, how they responded previously will kind of dictate how, what we can do after that and again kind of nutrition hydration fluid intake in particular and then kind of stress and anxiety any kind of pre-game nerves that they would have been dealing with um, as James would touch on again kind of lifestyle factors so external factors such as kind of sleep their schedule, kind of, for example, maybe school or so, any kind of social um, activities, uh, their health, so from terms of like illness, injury, any muscle soreness that they would be experiencing, and environment, I mean, maybe this would only be kind of applicable to kind of overseas trips where the weather might be, might be slightly warmer, so they have to kind of adjust to that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, once again, kind of similar as well, you know, you t- touch on the importance between the difference between psychological and physiological recovery. Um, and yeah, you're right. The, you have to, it's complex, right? Because you're not only recovering from training, you're also recovering from competition. And obviously one that has a higher impact because obviously you want to perform better in competition than you probably do in training. So you've got to then manipulate and that where the monitoring comes in a little bit. Um, like I said, we touched on psychological and physiological why don't we kind of touch on those strategies now, the difference between psychological strategies, physiological strategies, and maybe when you would use them and when maybe you wouldn't use them. Yeah, I mean, so when we're looking at these kind of things, as I touched on before, a lot of these strategies, okay, we have kind of the research that kind of backs it up. Um, and also um, we might be doing, say, for kind of form rolling, for example, I might say, okay, there might be, particular kind of body of research that would say that this would um, have much of an effect but if we can say that if it, if they think it has an effect then why not put it in but kind of we're talking about we're talking about a different kind of a lot of different things so if you're talking about physiological kind of things you're talking about your kind of your active recovery stuff and your your, your compression um, and then maybe physiological or psychological stuff maybe kind of your sleep or your sleep recovery where, where kind of sleep deprivation has kind of a big am- impact on kind of the mental mental processes within the body. So kind of um, kind of linked to your kind of levels of cortisol and kind of so kind of sleep deprivation would, would probably lead to 
kind of increased levels of cortisol, which kind of is linked to kind of memory impairment and kind of um, uh, increased amount of um, kind of increased levels of motor kind of decreased sorry decreased levels of kind of motor motor ability. So, if, will I just go straight into kind of an overall plan of what? Yeah, we do yeah, or, for sure. Or, yeah, no, yeah. When you when you touch on the plan and the strategies that you would do and how you would implement them, I guess. Yeah, so I suppose we take it on a, a, a basis of we're, we're ha- we have recovery strategies that we would probably do, we, players could do themselves every day, and then we would have obviously maybe more longer-term ones. So, I mean, if I just lay out maybe some of the stuff we would have done. So, um, again, we would have kind of done contrast showers and bats. I know you would probably touch on that a little bit more. Um, kind of, there are studies, a lot of studies kind of, conducted in kind of higher performance setups where cold immersion kind of decreases the perception of fatigue and soreness. Again, this might not always be possible depending on the facilities that you have. Um, and then we're looking at kind of similar lines, active recovery. So maybe your swim recovery, which we would have done. Um, if we had the opportunity to do, we would always put it in. So this would have kind of, again, investigations into this would would say that swimming recovery would have kind of a positive effect on kind of subsequent running performance um, and reported to have an increase in performance when compared to just a passive recovery. Um, this kind of is due to flushing out blood lactate at, at higher higher intensities. And then we're looking at kind of your, your more kind of easier to implement um, strategies such kind of like compression and, stre- and static stretching. Well, again, and if we know anecdotally it's the, probably one of the most used recovery strategies. The literature doesn't really um, kind of back it up as an effective strategy um, in team sports. Kind of, um, there's some interesting investigations that kind of compared static stretching versus cold water therapy, so your contrast therapy. Um, and again, what this would say is that it w- is not an effective. Um, method of recovery in comparison um, so and again two separate reviews of recovery methods concluded that there was no benefit for for stretching as a recovery mod- modality but again if a player is kind of used to doing this then I would say I would encourage them to do so um, touch on my point earlier where it's um, I would rather them have a recovery strategy than, than do nothing at all so um, again and then you're looking at stuff like Compression garments, which I, we would always kind of encourage players to have with them if possible, just to kind of create a bit of external pressure that may reduce kind of swelling um, and reduce inflammation and reduce muscle soreness. Um, again, there's a lot of research to say that it kind of reduces the perception of muscle soreness um, after kind of sprinting, high intensity sprinting exercises. Um, and kind of it can reduce kind of muscle soreness kind of for 24 hours after. Um, again, we would use massage, maybe like obviously not every team is going to have a physio, but we were very lucky in the sense that we did. So we could have players to have a massage again if they needed it again, if this was kind of maybe a, um, if they felt that this would help them, then we would use it. Um, but again, it was more kind of a case of this was having a benefit for injury prevention and management. But again, um, 
it can still be implemented. And probably the most important one, um, and probably the one, one that's kind of overlooked really is kind of sleep or sleep recovery. And again, I talked about it a bit earlier where sleep deprivation has a big impact on kind of mental and physiological processes. Um, increase your kind of stress hormones, your levels of cortisol, which kind of impairs, kind of impairs, can impair, impair your recovery. Um, uh, so, and then kind of how we would have implemented this um, kind of limited the blue light exposure before they went to bed. So we would have taken phones off them quite early in the evening, um, creating good sleep habits. So trying to get them to go to sleep at the same time and get up at the same time each, each morning. Um, and I know a lot of, a lot of athletes would have done this where they would have maybe brought their own pillow or their own duvet, anything that kind of would make their sleep that more, a, a bit more comfortable considering if you're going to be sleeping in a different bed, that might not be as comfortable as the one you're used to. Uh, and again, there's studies coming out of the University of California, which kind of concluded that injury rates in new athletes did increase during fought in the game mm-hmm. that followed um, a night of poor sleep, which would be um, under six hours. Nice, nice. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, you touched on so much there, right? And um, the, the, the different things that we, the different aspects of them and different strategies. I guess if you, if you could finish up and maybe put them into a little bit of a hierarchy for me, like so athletes who are listening, what they should maybe look for, make sure to get in first. So maybe starting with what you think is the most important and kind of tripping it down a little bit. I mean, yeah, if you're talking about kind of practicality, then then probably one of the people, like I would get a lot of people asking oh, me, um, what's the best method or what's the best supplement I should take or what should I do for to increase my, my recovery? But I mean, the most, the most, I mean, the most, probably for me, the most effective one. And I mean, the, it costs you nothing it's probably your sleep i mean it's something that um uh, especially if you're doing a lot of high intensity stuff um that's taxing on your cms and if you're if, if you're adding in some strength training as well then then your sleep is probably going to be your most important one um i know obviously um with, with kind of with younger athletes you have issues with phones and tv and if they're in big groups they might they might be more kind of They'd be chatting to her late at night, so probably sleep would be your number one one. Um, active recovery as well. I mean, just getting about if you have um, if you played a heavy game the night before, just in case maybe getting on a getting out for a walk, getting on your bike, um, a bike for ten or fifteen minutes just to flush your legs out. Um, again, again, the the research is kind of out is is out there on static stretching, but I mean, if you find a benefit for it, then it's no harm putting it in. Um, and then maybe compression garments as well can be can be a big help. Um, just to, again to add that kind of external pressure to to reduce the inflammation. And these are all kind of I mean you don't need. I talked about it earlier, and James talked about it as well about your budget. I mean these are all things that you can. I mean don't cost the whole pile, and you can add in. Um, so if you filter it down, then maybe your massage. If you have access to a physio, or if you're willing to pay that extra bit more. Then maybe you can see a physio, um, and then kind of contrast shower. If you have access to, even for your contrast showers, I mean you can just go in to a cold shower for a minute, come back out, go back in for for another minute into a, a warmer shower. Um, typically, for kind of a duration of kind of fifteen minutes. Um, as I said, one is to one. So yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. It. I think I think yeah, exactly. I you know. 
And I guess one thing we don't really touch on is obviously because we always have a nutritionist, the importance of nutrition, but that's kind of a little bit outside of the SNC realm. I mean, if you have to, obviously you always give nutritional advice, but in the most part, when you can get a nutritionist that can set up a program and a plan for the athletes, that's the best way to do it. Um, yeah. So sleep, you know, and then you go into maybe the more like physiological, actually kind of more proven stuff and then down towards the psychological stuff that might help them and give them a bit more of a just effect of, you know, that kind of level of feeling fresh. Um, so yeah, so finally deck, <laughs> I know you're always fucking, you're always last mate. I'm sorry. Um, we're going to, because me and you are the two that have been to a European championships, me and you are going to talk about what, what we've done at European championships and what we've done leading up to it. So do you want to start with, I guess, you know, your implementation of the strategies and monitoring recovery when you were at the Euros last year? Uh, yeah, perfect, Danny. Um, two boys talk through most of the things I kind of don't anyway, but I just kind of try and put them into more a kind of a practical uh, basis based on the fact that I, I kind of was been through it already. Um, so I suppose the championships in themselves didn't start for me in the championships or the monitoring strategies or the recovery strategies. You try to implement things straight away so that when they got to the European championships, they were used to these kind of things and they knew what to expect from say, ice bats and stuff like that. So while we were lucky enough to have, we went away for a kind of a mini tournament a couple of months beforehand, and ice bats were implemented for that so that the players could kind of get used to that kind of the stimulus and be, be prepared for it when it came to European Championships. But I suppose I'll, I'll, go through, I'll go through monitoring first and just kind of talk about what I did, you know, pre-tournament, and then I'll talk about what I did in the tournament. Now, we're kind of limited by our objective measures in the tournament itself. There was one or two kind of subjective measures that I, I used that I found was really, really beneficial, and I, I'll go through them. But I suppose throughout the year, we, we looked at RPE um, and training days, you know, and training times. They recorded all of that so that we could kind of get a good estimate of their acute chronic work. Um, and especially with most players were playing multiple sports or multiple ages, so we could kind of track what days they were training and make sure they weren't training, you know, five hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, you kind of implement strategies then to help them recover through that. Kind of going on from there, I suppose, with, with monitoring then leading into the championships themselves. As I said, it was more objective, um, or it's more subjective, not objective. And just because we didn't really have access to something like, a, you know, a Krona jump or anything like that, we didn't really have time for it either, uh, or weren't given time for that kind of objective measurement. Um so we went subjectively, and what I did, and it's kind of novel, and people, I, I've mentioned this to a few people before, but they've kind of, and they've kind of laughed me a bit. But what I did was I found kind of playing cards, um, and what I did is I implemented this where I, I went into, you know, use the norm ticks, which I'll get to in a minute, and started playing cards. Um, and through playing cards with players, I found that they were more likely to open up because, you know, you were playing for fun, and, you know, it was very easy and loose, so but then you could kind of ask more, you know, how is your, you know, legs feeling? Are you tired? Are you sleeping? You know, what's your kind of, are you eating stuff? Because some people were bringing chocolate with them. Are you eating a lot of chocolate? Are you eating a lot of, you know, bad things for you? What's your diet being like? Are you eating your meat at dinner and stuff? And they were more likely to answer you because, um, and I, I found it was massively beneficial for me because of the lack of objective measures that probably going back, well, definitely going back now, if I'm going back next year, there would be more objective measures put in. I did have, like, your RP rates. So definitely account movement jump. Like, I know you, you'll probably touch on this. Um, just to make sure that you're kind of objectively measuring the fatigue that you're experiencing during the tournament. 
Uh, but I, I just found that, uh, you might laugh, but I, I found it was very good just to get the players to open up about what, or what really was bothering them. If they did have tight muscles or if they did have lack of sleep, I, I found it very, very good. Um, but then, with regards to recovery, now, we had a fairly extensive recovery set up in the tournament itself. Um, so we had the use of ice baths, as, as I kind of just alluded to that bit. We had the use then of, of Normatex, um, which for you, you guys will know, or you'll, you'll know, but for people who don't know, uh, Normatex are basically just compression garments that pump air pressure around the legs, compress the, the legs, and are trying to get that blood flow um, around the body, get more oxygen around the, the legs, and hopefully increase that recovery. Um, so we got the use of them, and, and how we implemented that was, um, it was kind of on a, whoever played the most got them first after our matches, because, you know, the European camps are very, very extensive. And I, I think we've mentioned this before, the fact that we're playing nine games in 12 days, so you're, you're not really going to fully recover before your next match. You, you know, you're probably going to take after a match, you know, an RP rating of maybe nine or ten, um, it's going to take you 48 hours to recover, no matter what you do. You know, no matter what kind of specialized equipment you have, it's, it's going to take you 48 hours. So, what we kind of wanted to do and what we hoped to do was just try and get them to a stage of recovery where they could go out and play the next game feeling fresh. Um, so, the norm takes, we would use that for every game. And as I said, players who played the most time uh, during that game would obviously get the Normatex first and they would use them for a half an hour and it would go down the line for, you know, minutes played down to player 12. Uh, now, players 12 now, in fairness, who probably didn't get an awful lot of minutes, weren't obviously too enthused to use Normatex, so they weren't using that much. And therefore, it took, if you're looking at a half an hour per player, we had to use the two Normatex. You were looking at about three hours, three to four hours after a match of an evening uh, using them. Uh, we also use ice bats and how we, how we did that and I must mention actually Carol Diggin um, it was, she was our team manager and we were in Macedonia for the championships and we couldn't actually find ice anywhere we tried the hotel we tried down the, the shopping centre we tried everywhere no it was not available uh, so for some reason I don't, don't know um, and next thing Carol being Carol is, is very uh, good at what she does and she, she's very good to, to, get to know people and get to know what's going on uh, she was able to find a distributor of ice from the back of a lorry that used to distribute the ice to the hotel every day uh, to us. And we'd actually pay the distributor for, for the ice. So kudos to her. Like, she really put, went above and beyond. But what we do with our players then is after every match, uh, same kind of scenario. is Whoever played the most minutes would go into the ice bats for maybe five to ten minutes. Um, then it would be, again, down the line. They'd go from the rice bats, they'd go straight into the, the Normatex. And the next players would go into the ice bats and so on and so forth. We found th these two things particularly were very beneficial. And it was just through that subjective kind of talking and chatting with the players, especially up the morning, because up, you're up very early. You're up about half seven and you have a long day. Like the open camps is a very, very long day. Um, in fact, you're up at half seven, breakfast at eight, you're back to the room, you might have a team meeting. Then you're down to the training facility. You train for you know an hour. You're back. You might get an hour to yourself before you're back for another team meeting and on the bus then towards your match. So, like it is a long day, but through subjectively talking to the players, you can see that the normal takes and the ice bats had them feeling kind of fresh in the morning. 
they were getting good night's sleep, which is, you know, the, the most important thing, which uh, Michael talked about, like sleep is, especially during the, the championships, sleep is the most important thing you can get because it's going to give you that feeling of freshness. You know, if you feel like you're after getting a good night's sleep, you're going to placebo effect or whatever, you're going to feel more recovered, more fresh, more able to perform the next day. Um, so, yeah, we, we found that, that they were very helpful. Now, we did, we did implement, like, foam rolling as well on occasion, and that was, as Michael, I think, uh, mentioned there as well, like, the research behind it is, you know, controversial. There isn't really any good research out there saying that foam rolling is good for recovery or good for flexibility. Well, chronically, probably there's one or two flavors out there that says it's good chronically for or maybe increasing that flexibility, but not in, on recovery. But we use that as a placebo effect because these players would have seen professional athletes using them. They would have seen in the social media age, they're going to see these using them at a professional level and they think they work. So you get them using them. That's, again, it's going to be that psychological benefit. Um, so other things that we kind of implemented, obviously before the game, it was the dynamic warm-up and activation, simply because if they're playing a game back-to-back every day, back to back to back muscles are going to get stiff they're you know they're going to get rigid they're going to get tight you know it's everybody knows this it's i'm not telling you know anything really when it's said dynamic uh, warm-up is the most essential thing when you're coming to play in a match i found the activation as well was very beneficial uh, just use the bands trying to get the glutes activation trying to get the shoulders activated you know where it's not recovery it's getting ready and getting fresh for the game pre-game um, and obviously, we did do a cool down after the game, and Michael's probably going to give out to me after this, but we did do static stretching afterwards. And uh, to be honest, if I had had Michael's beforehand, I might have been two and twos to put it on or to, to do it because I was probably the most unpopular man. And you could probably attest to this, Daniel. The most unpopular man in the dress room when I came in after the game and goes, right, lads, let's come out to do a cool down and a stretch. Uh, because in the, in the championships, and you'll know this as well, um, the players are staying a player so in the team hotel um, and their parents, most of their parents will come over for the championships and stay in, in different hotels. And they'll only get maybe a half an hour a day to see their parents and that is after the game. And that, that can be very psychologically um, negative for recovery. But then you've got, you know, us coming in going, right, we need to static stretch for 15 minutes out of the lot of, you know, half an hour time with your parents. So you can understand how it's probably a little bit unpopular. But again, the girls, in fairness, or the players, they, they never came out about it, really. They they knew and felt the benefits of it because they knew that games were coming taken fast and they needed to be recovered for it. Um, so they were kind of the, the strategies we used on a, on a recovery sense. And as I said, the, the monitoring, looking back to now, probably wasn't as you know holistic as I would have liked it to be, have been. And definitely in the future, and given the opportunity, there will be a more of an emphasis put on monitoring. So I think it's vitally important to make sure that the players are responding okay to the matches they're playing, and not getting too, uh, you know, too tired, too fatigued, uh, which could lead lead to that injury. Um, I suppose that comes with experience, and it, and it comes with that reflectiveness, you know, just reflecting on the fact that okay, this could have been a lot better. And there's no point saying I did everything brilliant because you're lying to yourself. Um, you've got to reflect and kind of go. This has to be better. This could have been better in certain areas. Okay, I did this really, really well, but how could I improve? You know, so I, I just find that very beneficial and something I will use in the future. Um, going on from there, I suppose, going into the championships as well, uh, I wanted to make sure that I knew 
all of the injuries that the players had. Um, you do that day one, which you obviously track that throughout the year. And then before a championship game, like a couple of days beforehand, you're asking what injury do you have, did you have? What injuries do you have? Do, uh, do you have a tight? Do you have something here, there, or somewhere else? Because when you're doing a warm-up or you're doing a cool-down, you know, you're asking questions at the end of an evening, you want to make sure that you're focusing on the part that they feel the tightest of the course or they might have a little muscle tear somewhere that they're not kind of too eager to sell the coach because they want to have much time before the crossbow. You want to make sure they're looked after too because you don't want them stepping on that course and doing serious damage. Um, and then their tournament is over. Uh, you know, maybe their under-18 career then is over and they wouldn't get a chance to play European Championships again for, for two more years. Uh, so yeah, and it's making sure that Subject, I, I, I'll kind of hark back just to finish up onto that subjective monitoring. That I think it's vitally important to get to know your players. Um, get to know what makes them take and get, get to know what they enjoy and get them to know outside of a basketball setting or outside of any sport setting, whatever sport you're involved in, so that when it comes to something that is so intensive as a nine, nine games in 12 days, that you can reach, to, reach them on a kind of a personal level make sure that you're doing the best way that you can start. Um, and that, that's what I, I, I look to do during the And I felt I found find your own thing with your players, but I found that playing cards was probably the best thing I've done um, during that championship because it was the one thing that I could always have back on that. They opened up an awful lot and they were able to kind of, I was able to pinpoint, okay, so just for instance, one player in particular had a tight cat on the, um, if I hadn't been playing cards at the time, I never would have said it. I would have gone down to the training of the morning um, and did a full workout, you know, before training. But I was able to kind of go over to the head coach, go, look, she's got a tight cat. For me, I don't think it's ideal that she's going to do the whole training session um, at a high high pace, high intensity, bring her for the tactical stuff, maybe lay off when it comes to the more game-based stuff so that she's ready for the season. And she was a vital player. And Terence, they did. And because of that, she played the game and played the whole tournament and never really had an issue in the fact that she had to come off because of the cast Um So, yeah, that, that's all of my kind of strategies that I use within it. Um, and I don't think there's anything else I can kind of add to that. But to, just kind of finish up with the fact that, you know, it's it's vitally important to, to know and understand your players uh, in whatever kind of aspects you use. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, exactly right. And what, what you kind of touched on there as well is that you were almost forced more into the, the subject me- subject meshes because you didn't have, first of all, enough equipment or enough time to do all the objective stuff you might have liked to want to do. But it doesn't really matter in the fact that you just have to do the best scenario that you can do, right? And I think you did. I mean, I, you know, obviously Carl was there and Carl talks very highly of you within that tournament and what you were able to do with, with the limited facilities and stuff that you had. So, yeah, I mean... I guess what a, what a, the stuff I'm going to touch on right now is, is going to be pretty pretty similar. Um, just the kind of the, the probably the biggest difference being is that there was three of us, three strength conditioning coaches, and that we had heart rate monitors, which is just allows us to have that internal load. So once again, I'll, I'll kind of lay it out, and then if you have any questions, anyone on what we did after that, just let me know. But I guess I'll just kind of get cracking on. Um, I'll, I'll get cracking on that. So as, as as Dex said, you know the European Championships are a super intensive intensive tournament like we, we played it in like nine games in 12 days so the monitoring leading up to that for, for the two years beforehand was all about getting an idea of I know we touched on it a little bit in, in the injury reduction podcast and it might be good for people to go back and listen to that one before I keep talking but um 
you know, we're looking for their acute to chronic ratio and what they're able to maybe tolerate before they start to see underperform or, you know, start to pick up little niggles. So we did that for two years. And we also, as, as Dec talked about there and as the guys talked about earlier, we, we did their counter movement jump and this all kind of gave us information to lead up to it. Um, having that workload data though in, in monitoring the workload allowed us to kind of taper and kind of lay out what we thought a tournament might look like workload wise and then maybe get up to that three weeks out and then taper down to the last two weeks um, so that they were fresh for the tournament. When we were in the tournament, I mean, like, yeah, Deck touched on a little bit. The, the, the days themselves are, are, are hectic. You get up early, you go to lunch, you, so you go to breakfast, sorry, you go to train, you go to lunch, you might nap, you might go back and play a game, you have dinner, there's so much going on. So our, our daily routines are pretty hectic, but we just wanted to make sure that we had enough time and enough ability to put in a decent monitoring and recovery strategy for our athletes. So when it came to the monitoring, the most important thing we probably looked at was their heart rate zones. And we used the summated heart rate method, which is basically you take a time they spend at each zone in either training or games and you calculate a total score out of 500 and that kind of implements what you might do with your recovery strategies for. Um, now that, that has some flaws in it, don't get me wrong, um, but it was nice to be able to match that internal load to maybe the minutes they played in the game and you'd see that, you know, if someone said they had like an, an RP of nine out of 10, they played the most minutes, they generally always had the highest heart rate, uh, summated heart rate score. Um, along with that, we would look at their vertical jump scores every day. Um, so we look at the you know, CMJ and because we had so much data on them for the previous two years, we were, we were able to kind of get a gist of what their natural fluctuation might be and where we, maybe if they were way down or, or if they were way up their freshness scores from that. We also did a session RPE, um, like, like Deck told them there, where we'd find out the minutes from the game and we'd kind of ask them a little bit what they were, what they were feeling out of 10. Now that kind of took a, like, like even with Deck touching, it takes a back seat in the kind of just the normal chats. You know, you're going to find out how do you feel like, like, oh, that was like an eight out of 10 or whatever rather than to get the write it down and stuff like that. Um, what we also did as well, and it touches on what Deck talks about, about this was always quite tough to do immediately after a game, is sorry, pre and post game, is that we would weigh them before they went out in, in their kit and then we would weigh them afterwards to see how much weight they had lost during the game and see if they were kind of at a dehydrated state. And then through the team nutritionist, we were able to do a, a rehydration protocol from that. Um, and the, like Deck was saying, that that was, that was quite tough to do, especially if you've lost the game. It's all great when you've won a game, everyone will do whatever you want. And, you know, they've only got a limited amount of time with their parents, blah, 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 blah. blah. You want to get them cooled down, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was something we did. And I think that worked really well that we knew who had lost a substantial amount of water weight in, um, in, in a game. And, uh, and then we could use the, the nutritionist protocol on rehydration to, to kind of refix that. Um, and then like, even for the, for the heart rate methods, it allowed us to manipulate, um, in training, you know, say I give you an example, what one of our point guards would actually put up quite high numbers in a training session. And that's obviously not the, not the ideal scenario. We want them to kind of not be adding to any extra fatigue when they are playing in the evening and training in the morning. So that was a, we were able to take that to the head coach. And obviously Carl's the easiest head coach in the world to work for. He'll, he'll literally let you do anything really much as long as you can ration out and reason it. Um, and that was able, we were able to adjust maybe what she was doing in the morning training sessions to make sure that she wasn't getting in a more fatigued state as the tournament went on. And that's why having that objective data was, was real nice. Um, once, once I collected all that data, we then look at, you know, um, the recovery strategies. And, and we, that's why I talked about the, the hierarchy with Mike earlier. Sleep is the most important thing. And we actually did a little bit of sleep extension leading up to the tournament, especially on the under-16 side, um, because it's their first tournament, their first international Europeans. And obviously that's going to add some extra stress. So, you know, you always hear about, you know, having like money in the bank when it comes to sleep. So we were trying to get them to increase their sleep, you know, like 15, 20 minutes a week for maybe eight or nine weeks leading up to that. And there is actually quite a lot of research in that within basketball players and their cognitive scores seem to go up 
but for me it was more about making sure that at least the week leading up to it they had had a lot of sleep uh like i say money in the bank between travel and stuff like that they might have lost out on some um in tournament then we had a, we had a quite a few recovery strategies um if i break it back to, all the way back to israel in 2017 it's kind of funny to hear deck talk about his stories with uh ice baths we would in israel I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit, but it was about 48, 49 degrees Celsius. And, and that is that is so hot. So trying to run a bath of, of cold water in Israel was impossible. So we'd have to run the baths if we were going to play a game in the evening. We'd have to run the baths at probably like 10 a.m. in the morning and wait for the water to cool down and add ice to it. Um, so that wasn't ideal. And even at that point, we weren't able to actually get too much ice um, from from the, the, the hotel because you'd, you'd go down to get ice and the German team would have left the, the guy behind the... the, the behind the stand the ice stand would give them like $50 or whatever and he'd give them all the ice so there was all all these little things that you don't think about when you're trying to implement recovery strategies um, but when we actually got to Montenegro there was no there was no facilities to do ice baths so we then went for our contrast showers and we would this would actually give us a little bit of time so they would come home from the game they would do their contrast showers uh, three minutes uh, on one minute off of the hot to cold and um, while they were doing that me and one of the other SNC coaches would do off all their heart rate data and like like uh, like Deck did with the um, the minutes, we would then use whoever the highest internal heart rate scores. They would then go into the Normatec boots first. Um, as well, we 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 really used the physio. <laughs> really, you know, any any kid that liked to rub down and, and a chat and did certain things that they like, you know, the physio to do to give them a psychological benefit. That would be done in certain periods of time after a game, but after training, before a game, there would all be times laid out for that. Uh, we would do mobility sessions kind of during the, the middle of the day we would look at the kind of joints that might be a little bit stiff shoulders hips ankles stuff like that um we would do napping we would nap every day but we've been working on these all these strategies have been worked on over two years really in, in international trips whether we were in iceland or copenhagen or the deuceman trophy in luxembourg stuff like that they'd all been put into place so the girls are very used to them so they were kind of able to even if they didn't get in to, to nap for 20 30 minutes they were able to get away from everything and just be in their rooms without their phones for 20 or 30 minutes uh, a thing very anecdotally, and we've touched on foam rolling quite a bit um, and what we think and what we think of it and stuff and whether it's great or not. Something I, I've always used with my athletes, and this is completely and utterly anecdotal, is that when when you are at the end of the day and you take away that phone for 10, 15 minutes before they're going to sleep, if you kind of get them down on the floor and you say a, a, a light foam rolling session, not looking for any trigger points or anything because that might end up spiking the heart rate and kind of waking them up a little bit more, but just a nice slow foam roll on the ground. I, I, I tell anyone who's listening to try to do that and tell me that you're not more tired after you do it. And I think that has a pretty good impact on trying to get them down and getting them into sleep. Um, so I would always do that. And, you know, it, like I said, we would we would have the Normatec boots and same thing with deck. That would take like three hours. Um, we'd have our, our physio, our rub downs. We would have our compression, uh, obviously, uh, sorry, our contrast showers. So we'd have a lot of recovery strategies in. But I think the most important aspect of it was just like Dex says, the subjective measures are, are really important. But when we have, with having the heart rate data, we were able to kind of manipulate the training sessions in the morning and make sure that they, they, they weren't too hard and they were a low level training session. But they are going to be anyway, but you know, you, you've got to think about it's, if a point guard keeps running the same, the same play over and over and over again, you know, they're going to have that kind of psychological thing of trying to figure out the play and stuff like that. And it might spike their heart rate a little bit. And we saw that quite a lot with our point guards and being able to manipulate that is, is also really important. So, Everything has a place. I mean, the, the everything has a place. Like that's why I say you need such a broad scale of monitoring uh, strategies, and they should all inform your recovery strategies. 
but I, I generally don't think there was anything that worked better than just napping and making sure they got a good 10 hours sleep. And I, like I touched on earlier, you have them hierarchy recovery and the nutritionist was really with um, Kate McDade also known as like NutriKate. She was on nutritionist that year and the year before that I worked with uh, Mary Carson, who was just on the podcast actually. Um, and they were putting some really, really good rehydration strategies and some really good nutritional strategies and they work really, really well. So as long as you have something in place that's within your means and you can do it and you can do it to a decent standard, then you are just trying to put your your athletes in the best possible uh, position to be recovered um, and perform well. Does that make sense, guys? Does anyone have any questions on any of that? No, that sounds good. Um, Mike, Deck, any questions? No, very, very no, interesting. No, it's very interesting to hear the, the perspective. Um, now, I'd obviously heard a lot of that before because when I come on board with, with the international team, I mean, you were the first person to kind of show me what to do, how to do it, what you had done, what you felt worked, what you felt didn't work. But it's just very interesting to, to see, you know, how, how detailed it is um, and how much how you thought of everything within it. So um, it's very good. Yeah. yeah. And like, like I said, Dick, there was three of us. <laughs> I mean, so we were able to put that system in place. When I went to Israel on my own, I, I did a, a different kind of, I guess, a shortened version of it. And it was difficult. You know, it was exhausting. But, you know, all you need is, is a little bit of buy-in from your athletes. And that has to start before you even get close to being at Europeans, before you even get close to the crunch time of the season. Um, and that, that, takes, that takes you putting an effort, you putting, you know, you learning from your mistakes and being willing to say, oh, I've made a mistake here and stuff like that. I want to change this and tell them why you're doing things, educate them. And it should all kind of fall into place. Doesn't necessarily, it doesn't really necessarily mean you're going to win a game, but at least it's going to put you in the best chance physically to do that, you know? Um, so what were, uh, is there anything, anyone else kind of like, like always, anything else wants to kind of touch on before we finish up? Just, uh, I think just listening to, to the lads and all of you talking, just, I, it is a lot going on with, you know, with monitoring and recovery. There's a whole lot there for if, if an athlete's, a young athlete's listening to, to, uh, to take away. And it's, it's probably a lot of it is, is left for, you know, actual elite programs. Like you guys are involved with basketball or, you know, within a club setup, it's probably not, not going to be able to do that. But uh, just if I was, you know, a young athlete listening or, you know, if I could hear, hear, listen to this when I, you know, when I was a lot younger playing, um, I think the huge thing is just listen to your body. I don't know how many, you know, we, we shouldn't be tired. Athletes shouldn't be tired on game day. If, if they are, something's gone wrong. So it, it's that kind of that, that, uh, that chronic fatigue or that unplanned fatigue where, you know, you've taken a day off on a Thursday, had a light session a Friday before a game on a Saturday, but you're still feeling tired. I think, you know, you need to listen and take that seriously. And, you know, something's going on wrong with your recovery, either your nutrition or your sleep or what you guys have talked to talked about or you know doing your ice class or you're just training too much because like i'd say the vast majority of, of athletes definitely in ireland who are playing you know, all the different sports they're probably really never fully realizing you know the results of all the training they're doing because they're just not recovering enough um so i think you know you gotta listen to your body is, is a huge thing for for athletes yeah 100 percent. and then like that's a, that's a really good point if i was to recommend one thing for athletes on the monitoring side of things, I'd say start laying out your schedule. Start seeing how many minutes you're doing and how hard it is yeah. out of 10. Cost no money. You could put it in the back of a copy book and have a look at it every week. Make up a total score and just see if that is crazy high and getting higher and higher and higher. And that will tell you. I mean, I know yeah. I know athletes that take their resting heart rate every morning and they think that, you know, there might be some indications of that, whether 
if it keeps going up rather than, you know, <laughs> going to stay steady or going down, then that could be another indication. But yeah, like the most basic easy ways you can monitor yourself is how much am I doing? How hard is it? Is it ever deloading or is it always up, 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 up and always really high, you know? Um, so just before we finish up, as always, guys, I will run around all, all three of you and give you a chance to, to plug yourselves and where people can find you. So James, let's start with you. Yeah, just uh, Instagram is the easiest place. Just, I guess, my own profile, James Lucknan or uh, uh, athletedevelopment.wnnm uh, 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 will be my two main profiles. Perfect. Uh, we'll go with you, Max. Mike? Yeah, sure. So I know, obviously, we, we've covered a lot of stuff there that might seem quite daunting to people. So if they want to get in touch, I'm sure we can ask, answer any questions. So you can just find me on Instagram. It's just Mike Stack, and um, we post a lot of stuff up there if and if anybody has any questions, just just let me perfect, know. Perfect. And then finally, last, always last for some reason. I don't know why, but Deck, <laughs> where can people find you? I'm getting used to it now, Danny. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram as well. Uh, it's Deck and Berry. Um, any questions or any kind of ideas or anything at all? Perfect. Perfect. Okay, guys, thank you so much. And um, I'll be in touch and we'll get started another one soon. No problem. Talk soon. Cheers, Dan. Bless you. See ya. Thank you for listening today. Um, some real interesting stuff, you know, talk, talking about how important monitoring is, you know, that hierarchy of recovery strategies and then getting Declan's opinion on or, or what his system was at the Europeans all interesting. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. So over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be talking to a bunch of people. We're going to talk to Michael Frawley about GPS units. We're going to talk to Dave Williamson about his sprint performance setup. Then we're going to do a whole return to play series where we're going to talk to Ev Hennessy about Gaelic football and Gaelic games. We're going to talk to Dave once again about swimming. The basketball crew are going to do one on basketball. We're going to maybe talk to Jack Clark and try to convince him to do one on soccer. We've got loads coming. Um, stay tuned and thank you for listening.